Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tiniest Twigs podcast. My name is Max Boyum. I can be found anytime online at Max Boyum on Twitter. You can also give us a follow at Tiniest Twigs or shoot me an email with thoughts, concerns, threats, all that. TiniestTwigsPod at gmail.com. Now, if you're new to the show, each episode will address a proposed topic or question that's answer can be found within the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And ideally, we'd focus on issues that are relevant to the church today or hopefully things that are pertinent in everyone's life. And I'd like to post an episode as often as every other week and, you know, sometimes more if need be, if these topics are flying in, if you guys are really giving me a lot of really great content, we can hopefully try to increase it. But the other thing to keep in mind is that I'm a student and having a full-time job is tough. So you got to give me a break. I wanted to start today's episode by first off thanking everybody. It's been a really great reception for the podcast and how great people have been for to me with any texts such people have sent me or messages on Facebook, whatever. It's been really great to hear the feedback that people have been giving and, and just know that your feedback is not falling on dead ears. This is really something that I really want to be a, a collaborative effort. So I really do appreciate it when people reach out with any questions or concerns or even just a small little, hey, good job, just because my uh, my pride needs that too every once in a while. So uh, I wanted to start this episode, again, thanking everybody and also reminding everybody that our episodes are now available on iTunes. Uh, I'm working on getting it available to Android users. We are available on iTunes, so like and subscribe. Uh, all that's going to be hopefully within the show notes to give you an idea uh, of where to find us and how to subscribe to that. So you can automatically get them every week, so you don't even have to check out my social media stuff. It'll just be right in your phone. So. I wanted to start today's episode with a little bit of a story, and it starts with Mass a couple of weeks ago now. I went to Mass on Sunday, rocking a t-shirt and shorts, uh, and it may or may not have been a beer-related t-shirt, just uh, neither can confirm nor deny. And as I was walking in, I noticed that another guy was walking in at the same time that I was, which was, of course, late. And on top of that, he decided to sit kind of awkwardly close to me. And when I say awkwardly, I mean closer than usual. So like, not close enough where he came in with me and we were there together, but closer than someone who wasn't with me should be, I guess, if that makes sense. And there's a point to that that I'd like, probably like to touch on later a little bit about community and how that probably shouldn't have been weird, but whatever. At the time, I was like, okay, it's a little interesting that he sat close to me. And as the priest was finishing the opening prayer and we were sitting down, he leaned over to me and told me that he'd never been to a Catholic Mass before and was kind of hoping that he could ask me some questions about what was happening. And Trying to maintain reverence and somewhat of a whisper, um, I told him we would chat after Mass, but then in my head, like, cue the angelic choirs, cue the opportunity for evangel- evangelization, right? So, like, for the rest of Mass, I was freaking out. Like, this was my big opportunity. Here it is. Like, my confirmation, St. Saint, Saint Paul, patron saint of evangelization, like, this is my time. Here we go. How often do I get the opportunity to talk to someone about the source and summit of the Catholic faith, which is kind of a cheesy little thing that's kind of become a mantra of the Mass, but it definitely makes the point. And so just reading directly from the Catechism, uh, this comes from paragraph 1324. The Eucharist is, quote, the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the Blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the Church, namely Christ himself. So. I'm sitting there like quizzing myself like, okay, so what exactly does consubstantiation mean again? And what creed do we say at mass? And what the heck are those even bells? Like, why do we ring the bells? As mass continued to go on um, and we started to get communion rolling, everyone started to file into line. And 
I, I looked back and noticed that he looked pretty confused, and he asked me if he had to be baptized to receive communion. I told him that's kind of part of it, but it'd be best if he crossed his arms and, and had a blessing thrown on him. So we got through communion, and after Mass, the floodgates opened with questions that he had put together, just kind of mentally throughout Mass. He wasn't writing anything down, so I'm sure that they were the things that were fresh in his mind. And Come to find out, he's doing a project for his religion class at the university that shall remain unnamed and is potentially my employer. And uh, if you're familiar, all good podcasters keep secrets about their lives. And it's almost like a superhero, you know, great power comes great responsibility. So it was kind of interesting. And, and, and again, I, I'd like to think kind of an act of the Holy Spirit that this person came into my life. And looking back at the things I thought he would ask, I was totally and absolutely overthinking it. A little bit about him, he told me that he was raised in a non-denominational Christian home and knew of Christ, but was unfamiliar with the traditions and the procedures of the Catholic Mass, which kind of got the ball rolling and got me thinking, how much do we know about the Mass, and what does the Catechism have to say about it? It's interesting to think that, you know, we go to Mass once a week, and at times I think we don't know exactly what we're doing. So I think it kind of starts at the basic definition of what Eucharist means. And so this is from paragraph 1328. The inexhaustible richness of this sacrament is expressed in the different names we give it. Each name evokes certain aspects of it. It is called Eucharist because it is an action of thanksgiving to God. The Greek word Eucharistein and eulogion recall that Jewish blessings that proclaim, especially during a meal, God's works, which is creation, redemption, and sanctification, that paragraph in and of itself kind of draws a little bit on the different Gospels, as well as a letter from Paul to the Corinthians. So, I, I kind of started again with what the Eucharist is and why it's a, such a point of dissent. And I, it's interesting to note that it kind of always has been, right? So, from paragraph 1336, the first announcement of the Eucharist divided the disciples, just as the announcement of the Passion scandalized them. Quote, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The Eucharist and the cross are stumbling blocks. It is the same mystery, and it never ceases to be an occasion of division. And Christ even recognized that. He says, will you also go away? So I think it's interesting to note that at the time of Christ, and I would still say today, Christ understands that this teaching is hard. It is very hard for us as humans to know and to believe that this bread and this wine, through the hands of the priest, become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting to note that this happens every time we go to Mass. It's not something that occasionally happens. It's something that absolutely happens every time that the words of the Eucharistic prayers are said. So, again, it's not the easiest part about the faith, but it is one of the greatest mysteries of the Catholic Church. And it's interesting to note that because it seems so simple, it seems so routine, but again, it's one of the great mysteries of the faith. And as we move forward, this is from paragraph 1374. The mode of Christ's presence under the Eucharistic species is unique. It raises the Eucharist above all sacraments as, quote, the perfection of the spiritual life and the end to which all sacraments tend. And that's from Aquinas. In the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, quote, the body and blood, together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, is truly, really, and substantially contained. And that part there comes from the Council of Trent. So it's crazy to think that within these small words and within the human hands of the priest, Christ's body and blood, soul and divinity become one with that bread and wine. 
uh, and wholly and entirely become present within that gift. Moving on, this presence is called real, by which is not intended to exclude the other types of presence, as if they could be real too, but because it is presence in the fullest sense, that is to say, it is a substantial presence by which Christ, God, and man makes himself holy and entirely present. St. John Chrysostom declares, It is not man that causes the things offered to become the body and blood of Christ, but he who is crucified for us, Christ himself. The priest in the role of Christ, which you'll probably hear often as in persona Christus, pronounces these words, but their power and grace are God's. Christ says, this is my body. This word transforms the things offered. And additionally, St. Ambrose also says, be convinced that this is not what nature has formed, but what the blessing has consecrated. The power of the blessing prevails over that of nature, because by the blessing, nature itself is change. Could not Christ's words, which can make from nothing what did not exist, change existing things into what they were not before? It is no less a feat to give things their original nature than to change their nature. So that's also something important to note, that through these human hands of the priest, yes, we are changing the bread and wine to Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity, but we are nothing without Christ. We are nothing without the grace of God. And it is through our intercession and through our prayer in the Mass that we intercede and ask the Lord to change that bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ. So one thing I also wanted to go into before we jump into uh, the next segment is how traditionally based the Mass is. So we like to draw a lot from St. Justin Martyr, who I had never heard of, I guess, before I had looked at his work within the Catechism. So just a little bit about him. He's the patron saint of philosophers, uh, and he actually relied heavily on the works of Plato, Homer, and other ancient writers. Um, he also looked to combine the Christian religion with the best elements in Greek philosophy, and in his view, philosophy was a pedagogue of Christ, an educator that was to lead one to Christ. So this is from paragraph 1345. As early as the second century, we have the witness of St. Justin Martyr for the basic lines of the order of the Eucharistic celebration. They have stayed the same until our own day for all great liturgical families. St. Justin wrote to the pagan emperor Antonius Pius around the year 155, explaining what Christians did. So this is kind of a cool run-through of the Mass at that time, again, 155 AD, and you'll see kind of the parallels between when, when, what it was then and what it is now. So, quote, on the day we call the sun, Sunday, fancy word for Sunday, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the, re- and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits, which is the liturgy of the word. And it's kind of funny to say and read as much as time permits, because uh, thankfully, uh, it's all within an hour. So we haven't really stretched that to the fullest of its interpretation. Moving on, when the reader has finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. And again, another fancy word for the homily. The priest takes what has been read through the different readings and the gospel and applies it to what's happening in people's lives, and again, challenges the people to want and to imitate these things that have been read. Continuing on, then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others, wherever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions, and faithful to the commandments, so as to obtain eternal salvation, which, again, intentions, petitions, 
whatever it may be, we ask for the intercession of the saints for the things in our life that we need, and we ask the Lord for the grace. And if it be his will, that's something that he grants us. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss, which is the sign of peace. Good thing, again, it's not a kiss. Then someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks that we have been judged worthy of these gifts. And when he has concluded the prayers of thanksgiving, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying, Amen. And when he who presides has given thanks and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the, quote, Eucharisted bread, wine, and water, and take them to those who are absent. So, again, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but just how traditionally speaking, the church has had this Mass, the structure for the Mass, since its beginnings. It's crazy to think that these early saints, again, St. Joseph Martyr, 155 AD, he's doing the same thing, he was doing the same thing, and they were doing it even before that, that we do every Sunday. And we'll kind of talk a little bit more about how the Mass, and every time we celebrate it, transcends time, but it's just crazy, and at times forgotten, that the Mass that we do is grounded in the same tradition that some of the greatest and holiest people have celebrated in a point in time. It is very hard for one to recognize the gravity of the Mass and how important it is that we're able to experience that at least every Sunday. So to help a little bit more with the topic of the Mass, I have decided to christen a new segment I'm calling the Jesuit Reject Corner with my good friend Ben Rogers. And as we get into this, Again, this will be from a Jesuit perspective, and I hope that it's of help for everybody, again, to kind of get something from a different side of the priest. So let's jump right into the Jesuit Reject Corner. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together as this community. We ask that you send down your spirit upon us, that we may honor and give glory to your name with our words, and with our thoughts, and with our actions this evening. May this podcast and this episode bring all the glory and honor to your name. We ask the intercession of Fulton Sheen, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Ignatius of Loyola, and St. Francis Xavier. And we ask all this through your Son. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Very cool. You didn't say Mary's seat of wisdom. so That's at the end of it, dude. Okay. Hey, easy. I don't want to. I don't want to come into your church and tell you how to pray. <laughs> I don't come into your church and tell you how much incense to put in the thurible. That's <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Okay, we're going to be moving into the newest segment I've like to call the Jesuit Reject Corner. And joining us, as always, is my good friend Ben Rogers uh, to give us a little bit of a unique perspective of not only the mass, um, but also kind of some tidbits and stuff that he learned in his time at Creighton University with the Jesuits, and then in his short and uh, I guess temporary time with the Jesuits this summer. So, Ben, how about you tell everybody a little bit about yourself uh, and kind of your experience within the mass? Yeah, thanks, Max. Uh, again, just want to thank you for having me on the Tiny Twigs podcast. I couldn't be happier. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I went to Creighton University down in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where I was introduced to the Jesuits for the first time uh, and immediately fell in love with them, immediately fell in love with St. Ignatius of Loyola, with his story, uh, with Ignatian spirituality, specifically with the spiritual exercises, which St. Ignatius wrote. 
Um, and I was just enthralled by it. And especially their, their service to the poor, their, their call for social justice and their call to be on the margins and, and to go wherever the gospel leads them. And so all that really was kindling in my heart through the four years there and uh, through a process of discernment the past couple, basically my junior and senior year at Creighton, uh, I decided that I was called to enter the Jesuit novitiate. And so I worked a lot with Brother Pat Douglas, who is an amazing Jesuit. He's a vocations director for the Midwest province. Uh, and so I entered uh, this past August of 2018. Uh, and I was accepted in February of 2018. And so I spent the summer preparing myself, meeting my other fellow novices, going on retreats, having a weekend with them, uh, getting to know them, growing in brotherhood and all that stuff. And so uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience being able to to live the life of a Jesuit. Now, granted, I only did it for a month, but, uh, you know, it's you really just get thrown into it. And you're living in this community. Uh, so we lived in a community of 23 guys. There was four directors and then 19 novices. And so it was an amazing opportunity to uh, to really take a step back from the world be in a life of prayer because that's what the novitiate is it's it's distinct from other parts of a jesuit's life and that it is a total life of commun- communal prayer you know obviously as a jesuit you're called to prayer throughout your entire life but not necessarily communal prayer and so for these two years you're in a community of prayer a house of prayer and so it's very very unique and very very special and um but as i entered uh you know certainly i entered with a desire to be a priest, to be a Jesuit priest, but I also had other desires on my heart as well, too, specifically for like a wife and for marriage and for family. And so I brought these four to my spiritual director and we talked about them. We prayed about them. We uh, had much discussion and prayerful discernment over these these desires in my heart. And we, we came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, God wasn't calling me to become a Jesuit priest. You know, he called me to the novitiate. We, we entered there together. But, uh, you know, I'm, I am meant to be somewhere else. And so I left after about a month or so. And that may seem short, but uh, it was an amazing experience, the joy of a lifetime. And I'm very much at peace and very much happy with where I'm at now. Um, and so I know the Jesuits will, will always have a special place in my heart. And I will, will keep in touch with my brothers for the rest of my life. And I pray for them and they pray for me. And uh, I'm excited for my next journey in life is. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of like me in a nutshell. Good. Um, hey, you know, just throwing yeah. it all out there. Why not? You know? Yeah, there we go. Very cool. Well, hey, so the main reason I wanted you uh, on the pod was just talk a little bit about your experience specifically mentioned with the Jesuits um, and the intersection of the Jesuit order and the mass. We've kind of talked about a little bit earlier in the episode about the different historical aspects and how traditionally speaking the mass, I mean, from the beginning of Christianity from the beginning of Christ's time on earth, we've had this set tradition and we've had this, I mean, I mean, written down, we've had this order of the mass. So, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about your experience within the mass. Like I said, kind of the little tidbits, the, the stuff that they don't tell people in the pews about the small, cool things, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, things that you may have experienced and then thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I never really knew that growing up. Because, um, you know, you went to Catholic school, I mean, from mm-hmm. kindergarten on, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, you you feel like you know a lot, you think you know a lot, but then I'm assuming the Jesuits slapped you in the face and said, you know nothing, dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you're very right. It's very humbling. But I think uh, we're, uh, 
there's always room. No, no one has all the answers, especially not the Jesuits, but there's always room for more growth in the Eucharist and, and a deeper connection and love for it. But uh, yes, I would love to talk about that. Um, I think I'll, I'll first mention just how central the Eucharist is specifically for the Jesuits. Um, you know, you, you read about any Jesuit saint. Uh, what's come to mind right now is St. Alberto Hurtado. He was a Chilean priest uh, who, uh, if I, he was like the, died in like the 1940s or 50s, somewhere in there, I could be wrong. Uh, no, no, sorry, sooner than that. In the early 20th century, he died, and uh, he was very big in the social justice, right? Uh, caring for the poor, caring for the marginalized, and for the widow and the orphan and all this stuff. But you read his writings, and you realize that his life was centered around the Eucharist. Truly, truly, his he devoted himself specifically. He spent, you know, hours in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, and he always said, I, it's the, the greatest, uh, like, I guess, obstacle to me administering to the poor is me leaving the Eucharist, right? It was so central that he realized that as, as much as that call to the poor is, as much as that call to, to serve them and to be with them and to advocate for them, as, as important as that is, it is nothing if you don't have that love for the Eucharist and that love for the Mass, right? And so, um, and what you've noticed is that's, that's central throughout any Jesuit life, or any Jesuit saint, or any Jesuit for that matter at all, brother or priest. Um, so the Jesuits have this special uh, sort of, um, I guess, dispensation from the church, where uh, normally a Jesuit, if they're your spiritual director, they're also not allowed to be your uh, confessor. So if you go to a priest for spiritual direction, and Basically, every other case, you can't go to him for confession, but the Jesuits have this special dispensation from the church where they're the only order where you can go to your spiritual director for confession. And I think, again, this is just me speculating, but there's many reasons for this going back to, you know, Middle Ages or, you know, the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, when the Jesuits were were vast and were basically the only learned priests in the world. Um, so they that could be a reason as well. But also, I think, is just because of their central... I guess, mission or their central love for the Eucharist and how, how close that is to them. And so they're allowed to be your confessor and your spiritual director because they are so close to the Eucharist, so close to Jesus. Um, and they're also uh, have a very strong connection with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So, you know, every the first Friday of every month, we celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus, right? And so the Jesuits have a very special connection with that. They're allowed special masses and special, again, dispensations to celebrate that um, that devotion. Right. And so, uh, you know, all this is sort of central or centered around the Eucharist and you realize that in the Jesuit life. And when you enter into the novitiate, you are thrown right into it. You know, it is made very, very clear that nothing is more important than daily mass and the Eucharist. Right. So that is going to be the central point of your day, you know, as, as a community too, you know, it's, it's, as, uh, Mass as a community is the most important thing. So we would start off every single morning. That was the first thing we did was Mass, um, except on Fridays, because on Fridays we entered into what was called um, our Silence Day, Manresa Day. Manresa is a city in Spain that's very important to St. Ignatius. That's a long story. I won't go into that. But it was our day of silence. And so from Thursday dinner until Friday dinner, we were in silence. And then we ended silence with a big Mass, where we sang. Um, it was the big Mass of the week. We sort of, sort of what we would call our High Mass. You know, uh, we have a low mass and a high mass. Those are high mass on Friday nights. And so, uh, but man, I mean, I remember my first day, Father Ober, 
getting all the first years into the chapel. And he said two things. He said, brothers, if you want to become a good Jesuit priest, you do two things. You get to mass every single day in the community and you pray your breviary and you have a, you do your daily exam and your Jesuit exam twice a day. You do those, you know, two, I guess three things, but prayer, he just lumped them into one thing, but you do those things and you'll be a good Jesuit priest. You know, there's nothing more to this. It's not hard. I mean, you know, he said that, you know, tongue in cheek, right? Um, but uh, go to mass with your community every single day and stay close, you know, pray the breviary and do your daily exam do those three things and you'll be just fine. He also, you know, those are necessary, but not sufficient, right? He wants you to do those things, but you should pray more, you should do all those other things, but just stay basic to those. It was drilled into us from a very, from the first day on. Um, but yeah, and so talking more specifically about the mass, uh, we, we uh, you know, went sort of through a, probably a two or probably a, a two or two and a half day or two and a half hour lecture um, specifically on the mass, right? And what is going on? What is the priest doing? Why is he doing this? Why is he wearing what he's wearing? Why is he doing the actions he is doing? Um, and so, uh, so a fun fact kind of about the mass is, I, know, I don't know about you guys, but I notice this a lot too, is during the Our Father, no one knows what to do, right? Some people are holding hands. Some people have their hands folded. Some people have them up in their arms and they're all looking around to see who's holy or who's doing something not holy, right? And so one of us asked us, like, you know, Father, what are we supposed to do during our Father, the Lady? And he goes, you know, there is no instruction in the General Roman Missal as to what the Lady is supposed to do. So you can, if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to hold hands, hold your hands. If you want to fold them, fold them. But there's no specific way to act during the Our Father. And so if you, if ever, Someone ever tells you that don't hold hands during our father, you know, it's, it's a sin or something like that. Don't listen to them. If someone says, you know, you shouldn't raise your hands up in the orange posture, don't listen to them either. You can do whatever you want. It's a communal prayer and we're allowed to pray together as a community. Um, so that's just a nice little thing that I didn't know. Now I know. Right. Um, and, uh, but I remember what struck me the most, um, is just the prayers the priest prays under his breath during the actual, actual consecration. Now, I can't remember most of them, or some of them, but I, you know, there's, there's a few of them where uh, the one comes to mind right now is when he pours the wine into the chalice and then just a little drop of water, right? He just pours a little drop of water, usually into one, although sometimes he does not into all of them. It doesn't, again, it doesn't really matter as long as he does it in one. Uh, but as he's pouring that, maybe you've sort of heard him mumble, but what he's saying is, uh, by this mingling of water and wine, May we come to share in the, divin- the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity, right? And so it's, it's bridging scripture and tradition, the scripture of, of, of Jesus becoming man, or is God becoming man, right? And the, the uh, two natures, one person. No, two persons. Is it two persons, one nature? I always get this mixed up. Trinity one is, person, two natures, right? I think Trinity is three persons, one nature. Jesus is two natures, one person. Because he's not right. two persons, he's one person. Yeah. yeah. I always get them mixed up. I always have to... Uh, it's cool numbers. To it's tough. Process. It's tough. Hey, you know, I, hey, I'm, st- I'm still trying... I'm a saint in progress, right? You were kicked um, out for a reason. We get it. Yeah, keep going. I was kicked out for a reason. Hey, man. Hey, man. Uh, no, but yeah. And so, and then obviously, the scripture part is also when they threw a lance, you know, the spear into Jesus' side on the cross, blood and water poured forth. And so that's another thing that comes out. Um, and then, you know, right before, uh, right as the priest consumes the actual body and blood of Christ, again, 
this isn't going to be word for word because I don't have the actual Roman Missal in front of me, but it's something along the lines of, um, oh, what do you say? It's like, uh, by, by eating or consuming this body and blood, may we come to share in eternal life or something like that. Right. So it's his final prayer to Christ saying, Lord, when we can, he prays on behalf of the congregation, right? He says, Lord, when these people consume you, may you bring them into the eternal life. Again, going back to like John chapter six, uh, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man, you will not have life within you. You know, and he, and so I mean, we could do a whole other podcast episode on John chapter six. You know, I was going to say, there's just so much to unpack within the small little things. I, I mean, like you said, John chapter six could be an entire episode itself. That's fantastic. I mean, just the way that there are such subtleties that go into the mass that make it one of the most beautiful parts of the Catholic faith and how that's something that you can experience every day. I mean, that's something you don't necessarily just have to do on Sunday. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, I mean, if you can go to daily mass, I'd probably recommend, I don't know. Doctor's orders, Ben, what do you think? Hey, uh, how many times did you go to daily mass last week, Max? You don't want to do that right now. You want to hurt me? You don't want to do that. How many times did you go to daily mass last week? Five times. Uh, it's tough for me to be mad at you for that, but whatever, whatever, man, I don't no, need your I, guilt. You, you brought up a really good point, Max. And there is so many beautiful subtleties within the mass. And, you know, obviously what we have, what's going on in the church right now, as we record, this is the youth synod, you know, and they're, which is a, I think is beautiful and great. And they're discussing, you know, the liturgy, uh, they're discussing how to get the youth more involved or more engaged in, in the mass. And, and, um, you know, I'm obviously praying for that synod and for the young, for the youths there and for the bishops and the cardinals and for the Pope who's there as well. And so that they, that the Holy Spirit may enliven them and may lead them. But I think that, you know, to be honest, we don't really need much, uh, much, much revision in the liturgy. I mean, if, if we just knew what was going on, if we just took like, even just an hour, like some Sunday afternoon and just research what was going on during the mass. Or I know a lot of priests in uh, actually in the Omaha diocese, archdiocese, they do what's called like this, this teach mass where they do a mass, but they stop themselves and explain what they're doing, like at integral parts of the mass. And I think that's something that priests could do to people in high school or to do with classes in high school and in college is to give them these insights because it's a, it's sort of a mystery, right? And that's the beautiful thing about it is it's a mystery. But if we can unpack that mystery just a little bit and so we can enter into it more fully, then we're more engaged and we're actually doing what Vatican II called us to be in which is, you know, full active participation in the mass, right? Um, and so uh, I, think, I think we're in a very, very beautiful, but also like almost uh, revolutionary period in the church where we are, the youth are clamoring for something within, within the liturgy, within the church, and it's all there for them. It's all there for us. We just need, we just need to, to have the determination, gumption, will, and drive to go after it, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess that's all. Well, so I guess one thing that I struggle with, and I was actually thinking about this today, like every Sunday, and I guess if you're like Ben and the holiest person ever, you go to mass, you know, six times a week, six, seven times a week, you're literally face to face and experiencing this celebration, not only earthly within that church that you're in, but you're also experiencing it like you're transcending time and space. And you're, so you're going back to the last supper. You're going back to Calvary. You're standing there with Christ 
as he broke the bread and as the saints in history have broken the bread and as all the priests who have ever celebrated the Eucharist, you are transcending time to the point where you're with them there and the whole host of angels is singing with you as you sing um, the Holy Holy. And, and just how, how much gravity there is within that moment and how, I mean, at times I think that that becomes a little bit underwhelming. Uh, for a lot of people, because they go to mass every Sunday, and they and if they even if they don't like it, see it kind of comes off as a repetitive and kind of going through the motions type of an event, be, just because it's something you do, right? Like mm-hmm. Sunday, you go to mass. Like, oh well, I guess if I have to, like no, it, like it, it should be something where it, the cheesy thing, like you don't have to go to mass, you get to go to mass, right? So like, <laughs> it, it to to me again, aside from the cheesy thing of like that you heard in elementary school all the time, but it's like, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about why the repetitive nature of the mass leads to a more beautiful and intimate interaction within Christ mm-hmm. and with Christ through the Eucharist? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's, I'll, I'll lead off with this quote from St. Padre Pio, who's one of my favorite saints. Um, and he says, if man truly knew how God regarded it, it being the, the sacrifice of the Mass, he would risk his life to be present at a single Mass, right? I'll repeat that. If man knew how God regarded it, he would risk his life to be present at a single Mass. That is, we don't understand, you know, what the Mass actually is. Again, St. John Vianney saying, if we knew, truly knew, you know, what was going on during the Mass, we would die of joy, right? And so we we're never going to know fully be able to understand what is what is happening or what is going on or the full scope of everything of the mass right because it is a transcendental moment um but we can you know through that sort of what you said repetitive nature of receiving the eucharist receiving or going to mass as often as we can receiving the eucharist you know in in that state of grace you know the lord is just waiting to pour out his graces upon us right and the best way to do that the most efficient way to do that is through the the consuming of his body through the Holy communion. Right. Um, we just have to, we just have to be willing to be able to accept it. It's a free gift. It's a free gift from him. We just have to be able to accept it. And St. Thomas Aquinas likes to talk about obexes or obstacles that are in our heart. Now that could be, of course, mortal sin, keeping us from obtaining his graces in the mass. Um, but they could also be just distractions or just a will on our part. We saying, hey, Lord, I do not want to receive your graces today. But if we can remove those obexes, those obstacles, we can fully, fully encapsulate or just, you know, accept the graces that the Lord just wants so much to bestow upon us in the Holy, Holy Mass and specifically in the Eucharist, right? And so in our daily consumption of it, in our daily going back for our daily bread, you know, our, our spiritual food in the Eucharist, we learn, or not learn, but we, it, it sort of, in my experience, and this, again, this is just a personal experience, it transforms me, right? It transforms me into someone who can live the gospel more, who can live the Beatitudes, who can go out there and, you know, do things in love for the least of Christ's brothers and sisters, as he told us to do. You know, I actually had a conversation with one of our mutual friends um, about a couple weeks ago, who is, you know, sort of an atheist agnostic. Um, and he was asking me, you know, about some of these questions and, and I'm not the best evangelist. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a golden mouth, like St. John Christ, Christitum, or, you know, I don't have these evangelical words or whatnot, but 
I just said, you know, we'll call we'll call him Bob. Okay, that's not his name. We're just going to call him that. I go, Bob. I honestly believe that at the end of my life, when I am before my Creator, you know, and and being judged, I do not believe that God is going to ask me, Ben, how many masses did you go to? How many rosaries did you say? You know, how many? Um, divine mercy chaplets did you say you know i I don't think he's gonna ask me that stuff what he is gonna ask me is he can say what did you do to the least of my brothers how did you love you know who did you love and where did you love it's all going to be about love right now i said that doesn't mean don't go to mass because i I told him i said bob as much as you know um god's going to judge me on those things and how i loved and how i served others what allows me to do that is going to mass what allows me to do that is the frequent reception of Holy Eucharist, which is a frequent prayer life, a, a structured daily prayer life centered around, you know, Jesus, and for me, the Rosary and Mary, um, and Jesus' mercy, right? And so while, you know, um, I may not be judged on how many Masses I've gone to or how many Rosaries I've said, you know, those things are going to allow me to go out into the world and love and to serve my brothers and sisters. And so, everything comes back to the mass, right? Our life, in my opinion, cannot be fruitful in terms of, of, um, you know, our, our spiritual, our spiritual health, our spiritual sort of, you know, uh, confidence if we don't have a frequent reception of the Eucharist and the Holy Mass, you know? Um, and that's, that's just, my life just centers around the Eucharist. That's all I can say about it. I think that's all you really would have to say, right? I mean, yeah. when you got that, I don't know what else you'd need. Exactly. Well, hey, very cool. I I wish we could go into more. Uh, I kind of promised right. that we would keep episodes relatively short, you know, once, you know, the 13 <laughs> to 15 minutes. Say it again. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, can, I get on tangents a lot, so I, I apologize. <laughs> well, no, and that's the thing. It's great that you got kicked out of the Jesuits. It's great that now <laughs> you can devote all your time to helping me with some interesting content. And like I said, kind of give me the other side of things. Kind of give me from the priest's perspective what they're seeing. And, and kind of hopefully bridge that gap. Because like you kind of said, I think that is a contributing factor to what the church is experiencing today. Um, kind of on the negative side, you mentioned the youth synod. but. I, I think there is a disconnect between the clerical life and a member of the laity. I, I, I think that stuff like this, conversations like this, and, and just kind of a, a general reverence and respect for the life and what a priest does can definitely help, again, build that bridge that hopefully humanizes the role of a priest, of a bishop, of a pope. And like I said, hopefully build a more successful and a more fruitful bridge um, between the laity and uh, the clergy or the clerics. All these words, <laughs> all these labels. Sorry, I didn't go to a Catholic school, man. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you lost it all. You know, four years, it's gone out the window. Just in one year, out the other. All right, Ben, one more plug for the Jesuits. Something, again, Yes. among the very few things you haven't said, because my God, you took a lot of time there. I'm but, sorry. All no, right. that's okay. I'm just kidding. It was great. Give us just a little plug, something that maybe if anyone's discerning the Jesuits or like to learn more about the Jesuits or just get more information, where can they go? Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Uh, I'd love to talk about this. So, uh, the Jesuits have a lot of 
outlets, right? And so maybe you've heard of American Media, American Magazine specifically. They're a Jesuit-run publication, uh, a monthly, I think it's a yeah, monthly periodical out of New York. Uh, it's a great magazine, great website. I'd encourage you to go follow them. Um, they're just, just an amazing area for discussion. It's, it's, it's an arena where every voice is welcome from the far left to the far right and everything in between people are there in discussion and an open dialogue. And it's, it's great. It's beautiful. So I encourage you to reach out to American magazine and sort of subscribe to them or just, you know, follow them and whatnot. Um, another thing is the Jesuit post. So the Jesuit post is specifically run by Jesuits information. So these are young Jesuits, you know, these are young adults who are running this website and running this sort of news outlet. And it's run like that because once you sort of, you know, graduate out of formation or once you sort of get too old, you get, it gets passed down to a younger Jesuit. And so these are articles and sort of news stories that are hard hitting for us who are in this sort of young adult age and who are concerned about politics or sports or faith, spirituality, religion, they again, all intersect at this website and this, this publication. So the Jesuit post is another great outlet. Obviously James Martin, our most famous Jesuit, um, has a bunch of books out. The Jesuit guide to almost everything is amazing. Um, I encourage you to read that. It's a great, great book. Um, and he has a few other books out there that are really good. And then finally, if there are any young men out there who are maybe sort of hearing a call about the priesthood or sort of want to check out this thing about the Jesuits, I encourage you to visit beajesuit.org. It'll answer all your questions and you can get hooked up with a few uh, vocations directors in your area, maybe a phone call, meet up for a coffee or something like that for a chat. Uh, plenty of outlets, plenty of streams, very low key. You know, you're not committing anything, but it's just amazing, amazing opportunity. So beajesuit.org. The Jesuit Post, America Media, and Father James Martin. So, again, thank you, Max, for having me on. It was, it was my pleasure. Yeah, of course. Like I said, love having you on. Love hearing all this great stuff. The other thing I would just throw in there, um, if you're an avid podcast listener like I am, uh, aside from this one, obviously, if you're you know a loyal listener after two episodes, um, the other podcast I recommend is actually, you mentioned James Martin. Um, he actually has his own podcast. It's just called The Examine with Father James Martin, S.J., and it's a short, um, they're usually like 15 to 18 minutes, and it actually walks you through the daily reflection that the Jesuit order has become famous for. It just kind of gives you an idea and an opportunity at the end of the day to kind of think over everything, how God interacted in your life, um, and the different ways that you can better yourself. And it's just a good way to spice up your prayer life a little bit if you're needing some sort of guidance if you're feeling a little stale definitely recommend listening to that just because like you said james barton great resource somewhat controversial depending on what side you're on but definitely a very great way to again shape your prayer life and make it a little bit better so ben if that's it like i said loved having you on it was a great pleasure to speak with you if you want to close us out in prayer maybe one more shout out if you have any but love to have you close us out in prayer and uh we'll send it on its way yes uh, so I'm going to do a little quick prayer from St. Ignatius. It's a prayer that every Jesuit knows by heart. At least he should. So if you ever meet him, you should know his prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, short little prayer that you can memorize. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, teach me to be generous, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to look for any reward. Save that of knowing that I do your holy will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. Did you want me to say that? Sorry. 
you're supposed to say that. You're supposed to say pray for us. You had a great, you had a great thing going. I didn't want to mess it up. But I mean, only like, you know, mercy to wisdom. And then you say you pray for us. You know, it's kind of how it goes. So. Sorry. Next, next time. time. Next time. Next time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast again. Episode two. We're getting better every week. We're learning a lot more about what a good podcast is and how to best go about doing it. So we appreciate all the love and support, all the shout outs, uh, all the text messages. Um, you've all been great. And one thing I want to continue to convey is that I always am in need of support, prayers, and ideas mostly. So my puny mind can only go so far. So it's with great people like Ben and the different people we have planned uh, that hopefully this will continue to move in the right direction. So uh, again, thank you all for the love and support. Um, the other thing, just to toss this out there, I'm keeping the rap intro and outro. Uh, it, it's a refreshing uh, look. Is, is that sort of a subtweet? Did you, are you getting some get some hate mail from that? Are you subtweeting anyone with that comment? I can neither confirm nor deny. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into it. I, I told myself I'd stay above it. I'm going to stay above the hate and move forward with the love. Hey, when they go low, you go high. That's that's so true. That what a, what a way to go out. So, all right. Thanks, Ben. We'll see y'all next week.